Today we begin a section in the Gospel of Matthew that many people would say that this section, as well as the parallels in the other three Gospels, which are the stories of the life of Jesus, uh, are the most well-known and the most popular. And we come today to the beginning of this section with Jesus and the Apostles' Last Supper. Now, when we come to the last three chapters of Matthew, some of you would dispute me on this, but it's actually easy to preach through it fairly quickly because there's very large chunks of what we call narrative. But given the area in which we live in here in the Northeast, I think it's important that we go through some of these areas rather slowly. Why? Because some of us were raised with some serious misunderstandings about such passages, and we want to make sure that we're clear on things so, so we can also explain them to other people. It, it's so sad. We come to this Last Supper, and, and, and sometimes we call this, we reenact it in the communion service, or, and some people call it the, the, the Lord's Table or Communion or Holy Communion. And people have really divided over this, yet it was something that the Lord meant to bring us all together as Christians. And so as I'm going through the week, I'm always thinking of titles of messages and maybe specific emphasis I want to hit and how long. I do have a preaching calendar, but I never stick to it. And how long I, I want to, to, to spend in certain areas and think about that. And I had a, a number of titles for this morning's message, which is rare. Usually it just happens when I'm driving. You know, I pull over, I write the title down, and there it is. And I really thought that this morning we would focus more on some of the things that are going on behind the scenes as the Last Supper gets underway. And so the title of our message today is Sovereignty, Responsibility, and Grace, with a subtitle of Jesus Eats with Sinners Again. Uh, That's because I really believe that Matthew wants us to see Jesus as the sovereign king and even in the event of his own crucifixion, Jesus is in control. Uh, Like last week, remember last week, if you're with us, we had a sandwich last week. There's another sandwich that's here. Last week we ate the whole sandwich. Today we're just going to eat one piece of moldy bread take a little taste of another piece of not-so-good bread, and we're going to have to leave the meat for, for, for next week. And the meat, as we say, is really the point of what's going on. And, and so what's the, what's the rotten bread? Well, we're going to continue with Judas's betrayal. The other side of it is the apostles are going to be told they're going to stumble because of Jesus. And in between the meat or the point of what Matthew is making here is the famous and controversial words of Jesus, this is my blood and this is my body, or this is my body and this is my blood, which we will not get to today. I know some of you, that's the only reason you came today, but this is the way I'm going to get you to come back next week. So that will be then. So let's look back a little bit at what we talked about or looked, we studied last week. Last week we were in Tuesday of the week of the cross. We believe it was Tuesday. We looked at Matthew uh, chapter 26 and the, and, and the first um, 16 verses of it. So let's go back to verse 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself, will be delivered up to be crucified. We said that Jesus has been telling the apostles this all along, his 12 guys, the disciples, the other learners and followers after Jesus, all along, and nobody seems to get it, except for two people seem to get it. One is Judas Iscariot, who we'll talk a lot about more today, and the other was uh, what we saw in the meat of the sandwich last week, the beautiful account of the beautiful story of Mary of Bethany, uh, who the Saturday before this week, she just, she loved Jesus so much, and she took up this bottle of expensive perfume and ointment and filled the whole, remember we said the whole house filled with the odor of it, and it was just so wonderful, and she anointed Jesus 
for sheer love for him. Some of the other people are like, oh, we could have used this other money better. And she's like, no, you couldn't. You couldn't. She didn't say that. But basically with her actions, she said it because of her extreme love for Jesus and anointing him for his burial, even though he was still alive, because we said often criminals that were crucified on a cross were not anointed for burial. Now, so that was uh, the, the, the rotten bread that, uh, you know, nobody seemed to get the fact that Jesus would be uh, crucified. Uh, Then we talked about Judas a little bit, and then the beautiful story. And then we jump ahead. Let's jump down to verse 14 through 16. It says, Then one of the twelve, whenever you see that in the Bible, that's the twelve apostles, called Judas Iscariot. Remember, we said he seems to get what's going on, but he doesn't like it. Went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver, not a lot of money. Uh, So verse 16, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now, I was thinking about it more this week, and it was actually kind of scary. Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Did you ever think, what would you sell Jesus out for? What would you betray Jesus for? You think, oh, oh, that could never happen to me. Well, we're going to look at the apostles in a little bit and see that it's, it could happen to them. It, it could happen to all of us. What would, what would cause you to deny Jesus? What would cause you to, or me, to betray Jesus? Well, now we move ahead, presumably into Thursday. Verse 17 says this. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... Now, uh, what happened is the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover kind of came together at the same time, so they combined them into an eight-day feast. So now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus. So here we have to applaud them. They take some initiative. Now, most of them were probably late teens, early 20s. I think maybe they're really just hungry and they want to know when we're going to eat. But they take some initiative, saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, we have been saying as we've been going along, a lot of people would come into Jerusalem. The apostles, Jesus and the apostles were not from there. They were from the region of Galilee. If, they will, if you will, they were kind of country bumpkins. And they come into Jerusalem. And there's tons of people in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover. Jesus now is not this year in for the Passover. Jesus is in for the cross. And they know that with, this, with the place so crowded that they all need a place to eat. And so the disciples say, hey... Where are we going to eat? And there's the, where are we going to prepare the Passover meal? Also going on in the city at this time is something of tremendous significance that people would be bringing lambs to the temple to be sacrificed, and, and then the blood would be poured out, the fat would be burned off, the people would be given uh, the meat to eat, and they would sing Psalms 113 through 118, which was interesting when we taught through the Psalms many years ago, we we were thinking like, my goodness, this was what they were singing. This is what we're going to see in a minute. That's what they were singing at the Last Supper. It's amazing to think that we would sing the, the same things or we would study the same things. Bible scholars tell us that actually within a few hour period, a couple hour period, uh, oftentimes approximately 250,000 lambs were killed. That shows you the massive, massive operation they had there uh, to be distributed to groups of 10 or 20 people. So if you do the math, we could be talking about 2 million people that are going to be eating in and around the area of Jerusalem for the Passover. Yet interestingly enough, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the writer tells us, for it is not possible, another version says impossible, that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. However, to make these sacrifices was something that God commanded in what we refer to as the Old Testament, which was the writings of the, of the prophets before Jesus was born. Well, why would they do that? Why would they do that if it didn't, if it didn't take away sins? Well, it was a picture. It was a picture. We all have pictures now, right? We have more pictures now than ever with cell phones. And do you, ever, do you ever look at a picture of somebody? Now, some of you are like, I'm glad it's only a picture. I'm glad they're not here. But the reality is that a lot of times we look at a picture and we think, oh, I really wish that they were here. And so, uh, you know, my mother, my mother, my wife, uh, you, the mother of my children, uh, 
So it happens, you know that when you're a dad, they always call you, your kids always call her mom, so you're like, mom, 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 and then you have to refer to her, you're like, no, she's my wife. <laughs> so so uh, she used to have pictures of me, now she has pictures of my grandson, I mean, I, she's like, I need more memory, I'm like, I bet you do. <laughs> so, but when you look at a picture, you, you, you wish sometimes that the person was there, correct? If you really love them, why? Because the picture points to a greater reality. And so the sacrifices that they were making in the temple was pointing to a greater reality. And Hebrews 10 and through uh, 10, 12 explains it. It says, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Remember that terminology, one sacrifice for sins? You'll need it next week. Uh, the English Standard Version puts the same verse this way. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That would be the place of honor in heaven. So one version says one sacrifice. Another one says a single sacrifice. Very, very important that we understand that. So for the Passover, there was tons of preparations that they made. It was quite an interesting meal that they, that they had. And then after sunset, a, a family or a group of people uh, would eat the Passover lamb. Then traditionally, one little boy would say, can you please tell me what this meal means? And then someone, even if he knew it, someone would share the meaning of their deliverance from Egypt. We talked a little bit about that last week. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, then the head of the household or the host, in, in this case it would be Jesus, would, would lead the people in a deeply symbolic night uh, and meal, and there'd be more singing, presumably, of Psalm 113 through 118. So, for your homework, maybe you want to jot those psalms down, and you want to go home and read through them. Some of you can sing through them. Some of you, it might be more edifying to the Lord if you just read through them. I would be one of those people. But just to, just to know that, like, wow, that's so cool. Like, like we actually know what, what, they were, what they were singing. Now, Matthew does not give us a lot of detail in his account. Uh, there's no mention of the lamb because Matthew wants to keep our focus on Jesus, who is the Passover lamb, who will shed his own blood uh, on the cross. So again, lots of preparations are needed. The, the city is packed. These guys are from out of town. They're young guys. They're hungry. And they want to know, where are we going to eat? But Jesus has, he's the host, but he hasn't told them yet. Why? Well, we're really not told. I don't know. But I think knowing that Jesus knows about Judas's plan, not because Judas told them, but because he is the Lord, that maybe he thought, you know what, I want to enjoy the meal without having the religious leaders knocking on the door trying to take me away, so I'm going to keep it a, not a surprise party, but a surprise location. But instead of the typical Passover, Jesus is going to teach his disciples about what this Passover meal points to and how he will go to be with his heavenly Father. So he's going to give them, if you will, the true meaning of Passover. And we get much of what takes place during the meal in the Gospel of John. Uh, you can read about it there. So they're wondering where we're going to eat. Verse 18 goes on in Matthew, and he says, And he said, Jesus said, Go into the city to a certain man. Once again, we don't get a name. That happens a lot in the Bible. A lot of times we're just supposed to see, you know, uh, generous faithful, willing disciples of Jesus, willing to give up of what they have for the kingdom, go into the city uh, to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, and the, when, by calling him the teacher, it probably indicates to us that he is a follower of Jesus. The teacher says, my time is at hand. Another version says, my appointed time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Verse 19, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, something very, very important. If you notice, in the last three verses, the word Passover was mentioned each time. So, what does that tell us? That, that what's going on is important. 
that we have to really pay attention to what's going on. As we just said, that he's going to let us know, he really does in John's gospel, but we're going to see as we go along, that the Passover points to a greater reality. And the reality is, of course, as we just said, that Jesus Christ is the true Passover lamb. So Jesus tells these disciples to go. Mark tells us in his account that Jesus sent two disciples. No names. Luke tells us that it was Peter and John. And to their credit, they are obedient to the errand, which they're not always obedient to what Jesus says. Way different (laughs) after Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes than they were beforehand. Gives us all a lot of hope and confidence, doesn't it? And and so uh, both Mark and Luke tell us that they would see a man carrying a water pot. Now, to some of us, we think, well, what's so unusual about that? Now, just imagine what it, we've said before, what it took just to put a meal on the table. I mean, you had to go to the market every day, all the preparations, just to go to water. You had to go to, down to the water, you know, the spring, and you had to carry the water back. And generally, that was something that the women did. All the ladies are like, ugh. Not only that, but you would walk, you'd see them walking around Jerusalem with the bottles of water on their head, and that's how they carried them. Some of you women are looking at me like, I'm not so sure I like that. But in keeping with the Bible, you may have noticed some of the women in our church in the hospitality ministry walking around with Poland, five-gallon Poland spring bottles on their head because we have them do that because we want to be biblical. Now... We are Because the men in our church here are so merciful, we keep the bottles in the way back, but we move them closer to the cafe so they don't have to carry them quite so far. Now, some of you are thinking, I really want to be part of the hospitality ministry, but I'm not so sure anymore. That's not true. We really, we really don't do that. They don't have to carry them on their head. They have to carry them under their arm. No, that's not true either. Usually, we just tell some one of the guys, hey, hoist up the bottle. The ladies can do it too. I don't, I don't know how they do it, but I've never seen anybody walking with the bottle on their head. Maybe empty ones, they'll start doing it to make fun of me. They're like, ah, oh, we get him back. We'll get him. So that's all right. All fair and love and war and church. Uh, people, <laughs> so people ask, is this Jesus's careful planning or is this supernatural insight? Well, to arrange a place to have a dinner, that could be, that could be advanced planning. It doesn't have to be supernatural insight. It could be. But to know that you're going to walk into the city at the right moment when you're going to see a man doing something he normally wouldn't do, I think there's some supernatural stuff going on there for sure. And the place where they will eat the Last Supper, uh, we know it as the way Mark describes it as an upper room. So we often describe the place where Jesus ate as the upper room. Here in Matthew, Jesus says, my time uh, is at hand. Another version says, my time is near. Now, uh, we do have some Greek people in our church, so they'll be going to correct me where I'm wrong with this. And I forgive the pronunciations. A lot of times I cheat in the pronunciations. I I just do what's easier for me. But basically, we see in the Bible two Greek words for time. It's the words kairos and the word chronos. So chronos, think chronological. So um, if somebody said to you, walked up to you and say, do you know what time it is? They're asking you, do you know what chronos it is? Do you know what the actual time is? Uh, that's not what the word that we have here. The word here is kairos. This is when Jesus says, my time is at hand. Kairos is a decisive moment in the course of history or in someone's life. And I think one thing that would be great for all of us to do, this would be great for all of us to do is before we come together as a church, just to take a minute in your car as you're driving, you're getting ready, or if you have, you know, have a devotion time before, uh, before church, which I would highly recommend, is, is to pray that each time we gather, it would be a kairos moment for all of us. That somehow God would speak mightily to every single one of us to the, from, from the person who's here completely under protest. My parents brought me here. I hate this church. I hate you, Pastor Jim. Why don't you talk faster? I'm like, and the, the Spanish translation, people say I talk too fast. Hola. Um, so, but to, to all the way to, to the person who really knows the word of God very well and is serving the Lord, we want to pray that it would be a breakthrough moment, a kairos moment for all of us. And several times in the Gospels, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. That's because King Jesus controls time 
even the time of his own death. But now, this is Jesus' kairos moment. The cross and the resurrection are about to happen. The fulfillment of his mission, this is why he came from heaven to earth to do the will of his heavenly Father. Now, verse 20, I want to read to you twice. It's a short verse, but I want us to really, I kind of want us to get in the room. You know, sometimes we read our Bible, but I want us to get in the room with Jesus and the apostles. And it says, verse 20, when evening had come, he sat down with the 12. And you say, okay, we're sitting, I'm there. You know, where's the menu? Now, the menu's already planned. We're not, we're not going there with that. But we want to look at what it says here. It says, when evening had come, he sat down. Some of your uh, Bible versions translate this and use a better word, I think, and they use the word reclined. Why was that? Because hundreds of years earlier in Old Testament times, they sat at the table. But what had happened is they had adapted the Greco-Roman style of eating. So they ate reclining. You're like, what was like that? So it went something like this. There'd be a little table on the floor. This is so painful. There'd be a little table on the floor and they would rest their left elbow on the table. And when the food would come around, they would reach over with their right hand and they would grab the food. Makes you want to go to the chiropractor, doesn't it? <laughs> and then they would take it back and they would eat. That would be how they would eat. Now, boy, that was great for a diet, right? Like somebody's like, hey, you want some more? You're like, I ain't reaching over anymore. <laughs> I'm not, not going to do that anymore. But so that's the way that they would, they would do that. I mean, it just seems so uncomfortable to me. But we're much more desk bound than they were. They were much more active people and, and they were younger for sure uh, than, than a lot of us are. Now, why, why, would, why would I want to get you in there? Well, one thing, I want you to get the picture. But I want, another thing is I want to erase something out of your mind. How many of you have seen Da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper? Yeah, completely inaccurate. Completely inaccurate. They got 12 guys sitting across the table. They're not reclining. They're not reaching over. They're waiting for people to serve them. Jesus called them to be servants. And another thing is, it says that Jesus and the 12... If you look closely, go home and Google, don't do it now, go home and Google the painting, and you're like, I didn't know two of the disciples were girls. I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like Jesus with 10 guys and two girls. But uh, it's, So it's a totally inaccurate thing. I'm not making fun of him. I hope to meet him in heaven and be like, you know, it was your best shot. I get it. But, <laughs> but, but so evening came, and, 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 he, and he sat down. He's going to probably be like, you know, I did the other one, and they didn't want it. <laughs> so, right? so, now the Italian people hate me. <laughs> so, so when evening had, had come, uh, you know, they sat down, they reclined, uh, Jesus and the 12. Verse 21. Now as they were eating, he said assuredly or truly, I say to you. Now, let's stop there one second. Remember when Jesus says assuredly or truly, that means what he says next is going to become, is going to be really, really important. Remember last week we talked about Mary at Bethany and we said, here they are, they're having a party. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Everybody's all excited. People are starting to think Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to kick out the Romans. And all of a sudden, Mary breaks out the perfume. And the smell of death is going through the house. And, and we were like, why do you got to be so serious, Mary? I mean, what are you doing? We're having a party and you're talking about death. What a bummer you are. Well, Jesus sort of changes the party that's going on. Now, as they were eating, he said, assuredly, pay attention. I say to you, one of you will betray me. I would love to know how much time just before anybody said anything. Just, or did Jesus just let it hang? Matthew tells us, puts in an editorial, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. Some versions say very sad. And each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Some other versions give us the sense of, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Now that word Lord is, is very important. We're going to come back to that in, in a little bit. So here they are. They're in the room. There's a bunch of guys there, a new family, if you will. Could be others with them there. We don't, we don't really know. Um, but I wonder what the, what the feeling is in the room for the whole night. Jesus is what we call hot. 
everybody's looking for him. Some people want to make him the king. Some people want to kill him. So they know that, 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 that something that can't go on like this forever. I wonder what the tension was or the feeling was in the room. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus has already washed their feet and says, I'm doing this as an example to you. This is what you are to do to and for one another. He told them they are to be servants. I think there's another picture that's going on there in John's gospel that Jesus doesn't tell us about. In the Bible, the word uh, walk has to do with the way you live. And what do you walk with? Your feet. I think Jesus is also giving another picture to them that Jesus is washes our feet in that he cleanses us from our sins. He cleanses us from the way we walk, from the way we live our life, that are, that are sinful, that are not the way he wants us to live. Then Matthew picks up, he skips that part. He takes us to the next part. They're having the meal. Jesus washed their feet ahead of time. They, they, they In the meal, and Jesus takes the party in a completely different direction. One of you will betray me. Now here's where we have to say we just don't know. What was his tone? What was the look on his face? I mean, how, how did he say it to them? Now we have to just pause for a second and we have to go behind the scenes a little bit. Jesus knows it's Judas. He knows it. Judas knows it's Judas. Unless he's thinking, oh, I wonder if one of these other guys got more than 30. You know, evil people, they think everybody else is evil, don't they? You never know anybody like that? They cheat everybody, so they think everybody else is like that? Like, dude, come on, come on. So Jesus knows it's Judas. Judas knows it's, uh, Judas knows it's Judas. We know it's Judas. We know more than the apostles. How about that? I'm not saying that much. But the other apostles, they don't know. It's kind of funny to me. We, we, always the picture of the apostles, and you have to remember it's, it's, uh, it, it's pre- cross and resurrection and Pentecost and coming of the Holy Spirit and ascension and, it, and, it's, and it's post. It's very, very different. And, and so what we see in them in the front end is so much like the way we can be. And what we see afterwards is so much what God wants for us to be. And, and so many of us are, are becoming just through the simple teaching of God's word. But notice Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And not one of them goes, it's him. It's Judas. Jesus, don't you see the horns grown out of his head? I mean, come on, it's obviously, it's him. No, they don't, they don't say it at all. But you know what? Neither does Jesus. Jesus doesn't point him out either. Keep that in the back of your mind. We, got, we have to keep thinking about that as we go through this passage. Now, none of the apostles suspect, seem to suspect Judas. What does that tell us? He really covered his tracks well. He really covered his tracks well, but nothing can be hidden from the sovereign Lord. Yet, as we'll see, Jesus does nothing to stop the religious leaders from coming to him. We'll see that in a few lessons. We said last week, Jesus said that he willingly lays down his life. Nobody takes it from him. And while the apostles know that a lot of people hate Jesus... What shocks them and grieves them is the betrayer is one of them. It's actually one of them. It's very interesting to me the way the disciples are. It's just the way we are. I, I don't know, you know. Sometimes I watch them and I'm like, oh, Lord, this is like looking in the mirror, man. It's so painful. I mean, they start to say, um, <laughs> you don't mean me, do you, Jesus? Moi? Couldn't be. Couldn't be. And I think they're hoping Jesus would look at them and go, of course not you. Come on, come on, come on. It's the guy with the horns grown out of his head, right? Hoping that Jesus would say that, but, but he doesn't. Now let's jump down to the other part of the sandwich. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna skip the other, the other part. We're, we go from the, the one piece of bread to the other piece of bread. We're going to skip the meat of the meal, which is the Lord's table, which we'll talk about Lord willing next week. Jump down to verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble. Some of your versions say fall away, some run away. 
Because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So you'll know where to find me. Peter answered and said to him, you're right, Lord. This is probably the way it's going to go down. We're all going to be stumbled. One of us is going to betray you and it's going to happen just like you said, because you're right. You're the Lord. You're always there. Oh, that's not what it says on the screen. Yeah, that's not what it says in my Bible either. Peter, Peter, some people think he was the oldest. He seems to be the the leader of the group. Um, Or maybe he's just the guy who always speaks first before he thinks. Any of you ever do that? (laughs) Some of you cried out yes and were like, oops. (laughs) Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. He's like, these guys, I don't think too much of them, Jesus. But me? Ain't never going to happen to me. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, how right you are, Pete. No, not exactly. Assuredly, pay attention, Peter. I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Another version says, you will disown me three times. You'll say, I don't know that guy. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. (laughs) And I love it because Matthew was one of the guys there. And he includes himself in what comes next. It says, and Matthew writes, and so said all the disciples. (laughs) Like He's like, we all said the same thing. (laughs) And um, if you know the story, really, you could make a case for for John in, in some sense. But... Pretty much, they were like cockroaches when the lights came on. Uh, Peter followed Jesus to the, to the trial and then denied him. John was there at the cross with Jesus' mother. Everybody else sort of just scattered. Now, there's something about this that makes this very sad and, to me, maybe not to you, very, very scary. Really scary. What makes it so sad is that all of these guys... We're all so close to Jesus. Did you ever meet anybody who walks around and like, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know what you say to those people who like that, those snobby people who talk like that? Don't do that. Do you do that? Just let me look around. You say, yeah, so did did Judas. (laughs) All these guys had a personal relationship with Jesus. All of them did. Even Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas didn't have it in the same way the other guys did, but he knew Jesus very well. How well? Well, we say that Peter was the leader of the group, but but we said last week that Judas was the treasurer. He was the money guy. Now, I don't count the money at this church. We have guys who do that. God bless them. And you should, if you ever know who the guys who count the money are, Um, you should really thank them because we don't receive an offering here. It would be a lot easier for them if we did because we would get your money, then they would go upstairs and they would count, and then by the time the service is over, they would be done and they could go home. Thank them and their families. We don't do that. They have to count the box after the service. So they're here from one to two doing that. They're on a rotation, but but they, they graciously do that. But Judas was the treasurer. I don't count the money here. I'm not one of the guys who do that. But the bookkeeper comes in and reconciles everything with a fine-tooth comb every single Wednesday. Guess who I talk to every Wednesday afternoon? The bookkeeper. Because I want to I know where we are, what's going on with the finances of the church. You don't think Jesus had to meet with Judas about that stuff? Hey, Judas, I'm thinking about going over here. How much money do we have? What's going on with that? Now, Judas was stealing, and Jesus knew it all along. Did Judas think that he really didn't know? Was he he that arrogant? My dear friends, please don't think you're the exception. Please do not fall into that deception. So many people think they can be the exception and they can get away with it. We can't. None of us can. We can't. Sometimes people get caught at everything they do. Do you know anybody like that? Is that you? I'm like, good for you. 
And they're like, why? I go, that only happens to Christians. <laughs> God doesn't let us get away with murder. He didn't let us get away with just about anything. But you know, the, the fact that, that they betrayed Jesus and they had a relationship him, with him, as sad as it is, it's the same thing that makes it so wonderful and amazing and shows us the grace of God. God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He knows everything. He knows that people like Judas will betray him. And so will apostles who love Jesus will betray him. And so will all followers of Jesus at some point. He knows it's going to happen to all of us. I'm convinced that's why it's not just Judas we see here because we go like, well, I would never do that. But then we see what happens to the apostles and we go, oh, busted. I actually could do that. It's important we see that we're, we're all responsible for our own betrayal and we all need Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins. But here's the test. Here's the test. When you and I betray Jesus, will we come back? He said, you'll be able to find me in Galilee. You'll be able to come back to me and we'll be able to talk about this and I will forgive you of your sins. But you know, a lot of you know what happened to Judas. He went out and hung himself. See, that's the real test if you're a follower of Jesus. Not that you live perfectly, is that you know that you don't live perfectly. And then when you mess up is that you come back to Jesus and you say, I know I'm not perfect. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your grace and your help and your empowerment not to keep doing this. To help me, Lord. I'm just, I'm thinking out loud. This is the kind of stuff that goes through my brain all week long as I'm getting ready. Does Jesus want us to see that the potential for us to be a Judas is in every single one of us? I mean, maybe there's somebody here right now that God is firing warning shots across the bow of your boat. Some of you are thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean, but don't think of that. Is he, is he firing warning shots across the bow of your boat saying, this is a warning to you. You're, you're really going in a bad place. You're going in a bad place. And maybe if we see that the potential to be Judas is in all of us, we could also see that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. And this is a very soul-searching question for all of us. Is it possible that some of us who have been Christians a long time are too overconfident in our relationship with Jesus? We're too overconfident that, well, you know, we're in. It's very easy to be the frozen chosen. Very easy to be the frozen chosen. Very easy to think that, that hey, me and Jesus, we're cool, man. We're cool. I got a relationship with Jesus and I'm, I'm great and everything's fine. And we don't really give him much thought. We don't really care that much about him. Instead of, instead of in, in, in humility, willing to come to Jesus and saying, could this be me? Could I do this? Is this me? That's one of the reasons, probably some of you, I know some of you are like, you know, Pastor Jim, it would be a lot help, more helpful if each week you just told us what to do. What to do. Well, I could give you four things to do. And, and some of you would leave here feeling terrible about yourself because you don't do the four things. And others of you would leave here in a worse place. You'd be like, <laughs> pretty good Christian I am. Yeah. Yeah. Getting it done, maybe. Right? Heaven must be pretty happy. The angels are bowling. That's what the thunder is, man. Right? <laughs> like, that, instead of leaving here going, being truthful with Jesus and saying, Jesus, could that happen to me? Could that happen to me? I mean, do we assume too much of our relationship with Jesus? I think Judas had. And, and sometimes I hear people who are just so arrogant about their relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, I, man, the way you talk, the way you talk. That, that's not the way we should be. 
You know, I'm a Bible geek. I believe every verse in the Bible except one. Except one. You're like, which one is that? It's when the Apostle Paul says that he's the chief of sinners. Because I believe that I'm the chief of sinners. I know some of you believe I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) You know why? Because I know what goes on inside this head. And when you get older, young married men, please pay attention. When you get older, you get burned in business. You get burned in church leadership. You, know, you, you get burned being married. You realize that everything that comes into your head does not need to make its way out your mouth. It doesn't. And so, and so sometimes I hear people talk about their relationship with Jesus. And in such a proud way, I'm thinking... Do you really have the relationship that you think that you have? Is your relationship one of, I can't believe he took me. I can't believe it. So it's interesting. The apostles want to know who it is. Uh, (laughs) Judas knows. Jesus knows. The apostles keep asking, who is it? And Jesus leaves them hanging. Look at verse 23. He answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Now, let's forget we're Americans for a minute. We're like, oh, yeah, the slob who eats with his hands. That's the guy. But that's not the way it went down. Remember, they're reclining and they would have pieces of bread and stuff like that. And they would have dip that would be making its way around. And so you would dip your bread or whatever, into the, into the dip, and you would take it back, and then it would go on to somebody else. So they would, we, were, we would think, oh, it's the guy who, you know, double-dipped or something like that. They would be like, that's not a help at all, Jesus. Why? Because we all dipped in it. But Jesus wants to leave no doubt that it's one of the guys in the room, that it's a, that it's a close friend. In their culture and ours too, that would be such an insult to the host and to a friend. I invite you and you betray me. We see it all the time. You've probably experienced it. You help someone and the next thing you know, they take advantage of you. I mean, it's terrible. We have an expression, no good deed shall go, you know. What, how's it go? No good deed goes unpunished. See, I don't say it. I don't know it. He knows it. (laughs) That's all right. No good deed goes unpunished. That's sad that we have that. They, They think they can take advantage of you, even betray you after you help them. How many of you have had people in your life that you've helped and they burned you? Everybody has. Everybody has. And though Jesus is in control, and though a lot of movies portray him as a robot... Don't be so, let us not be so naive and love Jesus so little to think that that doesn't affect him and that doesn't break his heart. This dude was his friend. I often wonder, and you know, I, I, have, I have this obsession with Judas. Most of you know why, because I played him in my eighth grade play. <laughs> That's seriously the truth. When I went to high school, they were like, oh, I heard you were good as Judas. But my, my cousin was, I, I played sports, so you couldn't do both at the same time. And, and my cousin was the lead in every single play. So I was like, I don't want to be on the stage with her. So, um, but, but, I, but I wonder, what, what happened to him? I mean, what, what did he allow into his life that, that allowed such bitterness? Was he that, really just that greedy? I mean, again, what would you and I sell Jesus out for? Here's the interesting thing. All these years now of being a pastor, that that I've learned that I know some of you think like, oh, so-and-so doesn't go anymore. I bet Pastor Jim knows the, the real dirt on them. It's actually very few. I would encourage you, if you have a, a friend from this church, that may, probably you may know them better than I do. And, and, and you might want to, this is the week you're going to get back in touch with them. 
Because do you know why most people actually leave following God? Number one reason. It actually was a recent survey in this. Number one reason. They just stopped going to church. That's the number one reason. They just, they just stopped. Happens a lot in the summer. The, the people people just, they just, just don't do it anymore. Or maybe they need a little extra money. And so they take a job on Sunday morning. It seems like no big deal. It's a few extra bucks. But they start to drift away. It's not about coming to church, but um, hopefully you leave here and thinking like, I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow. Pastor Jim's not near as smart as I used to think he was, right? I can get this. It's, it's simple. Other times people just want to sleep in. They're like, oh, I'm tired. How many of you are tired? Raise your hand. All right, how many of you are not? Okay, we're all tired. One of you, I got work for you, bro. <laughs> I got a lot for you to do, okay? We're all tired. It ends when we die, right? But it's just simple stuff. I don't know what happened to him. Last week we quoted Psalm 41.9. I want to quote it again. King David wrote it a thousand years earlier when Ahithophel, his trusted advisor, who's an Old Testament type of Judas, was helping Absalom betray King David. He says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 55, verse uh, 12 and 14. Again, David. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. If it was an enemy, I could deal with it. I expected. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. I just have nothing to do with the dude. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. Another version says, my close friend, my good friend. This is why adultery is so painful. This is why business partners who cheat on one another is so painful. Because it's someone you were vulnerable with, someone you trusted. And then verse 14, he says, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. This is a thousand years before Jesus lived, but it's so, this so this situation. It's like Jesus is writing this ahead of time saying, Judas, man, you are my friend. That's what makes this hurt so much, man. You're my friend. You're my companion. We met together and discussed the finances and the, and the ministry. We went to the temple together. We went to the synagogue together to hear the word of the Lord together. I stood next to you in worship services and we sang together. But I find Jesus' approach to be so interesting. He doesn't ignore it. He says, one of you will betray me. He doesn't say nothing. He brings it out in the open for all of them to see. However, he doesn't bring Judas out into the open. He brings out what's going to happen, but he doesn't bring Judas out into the open. He doesn't condemn Judas in public. What is he doing? Again, we got to put ourselves in the room. God washed Judas's feet. What was it like when their eyes caught one another? He's washing his feet, looking at him like, I know what you're planning to do. I know what you're planning to do. And then the cryptic revelation, one of you will betray me. Everybody's looking around, is it me, is it me? I wonder if Jesus went. So what's he doing? I believe with all of my heart, Jesus is convicting Judas of his sin without embarrassing him in front of everybody else. That Jesus is convicting Judas of his sin, if you will, in the way the Holy Spirit does, in that quiet, gentle way. So he repents. So he changes it. It's like Jesus is saying to Judas without saying it. Listen, man, my father will make sure somebody else gets me up on that cross. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. 
Judas, I can forgive you of this. I can. And I will do it with joy. But then verse 24, Jesus warns him sternly, which is still the grace of God. Verse 24, the son of man, again, Jesus' favorite name for himself, indeed goes just as it is written of him. The cross is going to happen, Judas. You don't have to worry about it. It is going to happen. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good, most versions say better for that man if he had not been born. Why? Because he's going to end up spending eternity in hell. Once again, we see the tension that we see in the Bible consistently between God's sovereignty, that he is in control of everything, uh, that his plan will come to pass, and yet there's man's responsibility. Judas is still responsible for his sin. Again, don't think that you are the exception. God's sovereignty does not override Judas's choice or his personal responsibility. Again, somehow Jesus will die on the cross And here we see the seriousness of the sin of betraying Jesus. Jesus says it would be better if he had not been born. What is he saying? He will wish someday in eternity that he had never been born. Because the scripture teaches that we either go to eternal consciousness with Jesus or eternal consciousness in hell apart from Jesus. Now, people, some people are annihilationalists. They believe that you either go to heaven or you go into the ground and that's it. They got a real tough time with passages like this. Very, very tough time with passages like this. We also see for you Bible students something very, very interesting here that the religious leaders did not see. He says, I'm going to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And, well, he said that in other places, but I'm going to die on the cross and I'm the son of man. So Jesus marries up together the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 with the son of man from the book of Daniel, the messianic figure who receives the kingdom. Yet God's sovereign plan to save people, which Matthew told us all the way, the angel told Joseph all the way back in chapter one, that he's coming to Jesus is coming to save his people from their sins, does not eliminate the eternal consequences for sin For those who fail to turn to God and put their trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I hope your heart is racing as you hear these words. You thought you were going to walk in and the ceiling was going to fall down. It didn't. Instead, you may strangely, oddly feel that Jesus is coming to you today. I I hear it all the time from people. They were like, I felt like you were only talking to me today. I go, that wasn't me. Or people tell me, well, when you said, I'm like, I didn't say that. (laughs) As God is speaking to you. For a follower of Jesus, God's sovereignty and accomplishing his purposes despite evil should fill our hearts with great hope. With tremendous hope. Verse 25, one of the other gospel writers tell us that Judas is at the point where he lets, he just, he's wide open. Satan comes to him. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Some versions give us the sense of, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. He said to him, Jesus said to him, you have said it. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, remember, they're sitting at kind of, it's a U table. They're kind of sitting with the elbow out like this. A lot of Bible scholars think this is a little private conversation going on, which might mean that Judas is sitting next to him, which might mean that Judas was given the seat of honor at the meal. Nobody else saw what was going on. And we get a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes. Man, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Seriously. No matter what you've done, do you get this? This is the guy who's going to sell him out. His best friend, right? You're going to sell him out. One of his best friends going to sell him out. And, and Jesus is still giving him the chance. There's still time to repent, but Judas won't. Perhaps we get the clue and the problem is in this. 
Judas calls Jesus rabbi, but the other apostles call him Lord. There's a case to be made that there's not much going on with that, but it does seem odd that that's the way the wording that he uses here, Matthew uses here. Many people call Jesus rabbi. You say, I never heard that. Did you ever hear anybody say Jesus is a great teacher? That's what a rabbi is. He's a teacher. So they'll say, they're really saying Jesus is a great rabbi. A lot of people will say he's a great teacher, but few are willing to call him Lord. I agree with C.S. Lewis wholeheartedly. You, you can't, he's either a liar or a lunatic or a Lord. It's God, I mean, seriously, a guy walking around telling everybody he's God. You're like, either he's a nut job or he is. And so, and so many will people say, well, Jesus is a good teacher. And I'm like, you've never read him, have you? Like, no, I really haven't. But if you call him Lord, and, and actually, this may be, sound surprising to you, very few people heal, hear hell as a gracious invitation and a gracious warning. If I went through this room today, for those of you that are, are later life converts, many of you, including me, came to faith because you realized you were going to hell. And you cast your feet at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because the whole world might have thought you were something special. You're like Judas. You've covered your tracks really well. But you realize in front of God, you're, you're, you're naked and ashamed. Now today, you, we leave here with a choice. We all have a choice. You can leave here feeling bad about yourself. You can if you want. That's up to you. You can leave here feeling indifferent about the whole thing. Indifferent about the whole thing. Now remember, how you feel does not change reality. It's your feelings. It doesn't change reality. Or you can put your trust in Jesus Christ and you can leave here today without fear of punishment because Jesus took the punishment for your sins on the cross. I talked to a guy recently who told me he was an atheist. I said, just give me one second. Just believe in God for one second. Can you give me that? He goes, I can give you that. I said, okay, I'll be an atheist as long as you want. We can have that discussion too. I said, if there really is a God, do you picture him as being like holy and separate from sinners? He goes, oh yeah, that's true. If there is, he is that. I go, okay, let's give me the longer second. How will you fare if you meet him? He was like, oh, not too well. Not too well. That's why we need a savior. He takes our sin on the cross and he gives us his righteous perfection. You can leave here today without that fear of punishment. 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Love has, per- has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. It's an amazing thing. Not to fear the day of judgment. Why would someone not fear the day of judgment? I'm with him. I'm not, you're not judging me on my life. You're judging me on his. I put my trust in him. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Some versions say punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you're afraid of the judgment of God, you haven't been yet made perfect in love. You can be today. And then one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, we love him because he first loved us. So here's the question. What will you do with the offer of Jesus' love? Will you, like Judas, reject it? Or will you be like the apostles and say, I've messed up, but I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I'm going to come back to you. Jesus exposes our sin in the pages of the Bible and in our conscience to get us to come to the foot of the cross. Not to belittle you, but to get us to come to the foot of the cross for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Whether you put your trust in Jesus for the first time today, you've been a Christian for 60 years. Judas' sin is premeditated. It is planned. Again, I'd like to think through this stuff. I have no idea. Every time he reached over, did he hear the money in his pocket? Every time did that happen? 
And Jesus would look at him. Yet Jesus still continues to reach out to him. He still continues to reach out to you. Stop with this and you can't teach an all dog no tricks or you don't know what I've done. Listen, nobody has done what this guy's done. Nobody has done what the Apostle Paul did. And that's why God takes these guys and the Apostle Paul put his trust in Jesus and went out and changed the Roman Empire. And Judas Iscariot didn't put his trust in Jesus. And if you know the story, he went out and hung himself. Jesus says the same to all of us. He reaches out to you today. He reaches out to me today. How will you respond? How will I respond? How will we respond to Jesus? How will we respond to his invitation to a real relationship with him? A real one. Will we betray him like Judas Will we give him off-the-charts, extravagant worship like Mary of Bethany? Or perhaps maybe today we're going to respond by saying, I know I've been far from you, God, but I want to be like the apostles. I want to come back to you, and I want to be in a good relationship with you, and I want to be used of you in your kingdom. Those choices are all ours. What choice will you make? What choice will I make? Well, let's pray.